2: people to land in a place where they can recognize that it's completely subjective, but also give themselves a little bit of distance so that they can actually approach themselves with gentleness and with curiosity and see their subjective thoughts clearly. That's really where the gold is, you know, and and that's what mindfulness is asking us to do, essentially.
1: Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin. And we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll hear about joint care for your pets. We'll learn how to be a Salad Whisperer. We'll also discuss cognitive disorders and the mindful mind. And lastly, we'll find out about the nefarious practice of health washing. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all natural herbs, vitamins and minerals in their formulations. The company is site licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team, headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, Gordon. How are you?
0: good, Jamie. Thanks for having me again.
1: Always a pleasure. So, you know, we've covered so many different types of uh, ailments and conditions, and we've discussed so many supplements for people, but today we're going to discuss supplements for a whole different subset, and that is our cats and dogs.
0: Yes, Jamie. And you know what's amazing? A lot of people don't think that cats and dogs have the same issues that we do. And what I try to tell people where where our, sometimes I call them our empty nested children (laughs) or or the other members of our family, they suffer from the same issues that we do. They get older, just like you and I. Yes, And as like anything else, as your dog or cat gets older, they, they have the same type of diseases like you and I. And I talk about diseases of old age, we'll just talk about that for today. Um, so they have joint issues, pulled ligaments, stretched ligaments, etc. And I'll focus a little bit more on the dogs, but the same whatever I say for dogs will apply to cats also. Right. Dogs and cats are mammals, just like you and I. And the same things that work on us will work on dogs and cats. But all we have to do is to make sure we use the right dosage of course. for the dogs and cats. So the right quantity. And a lot of the times, quantity too is dependent on how badly off they are. For example, you, um, there are some people who have a dog who is about six years old. Six years old is considered like middle age for for a dog because most dogs live from anywhere from 10 years to 15 years. Right. Some of them died a little bit earlier, but anywhere 10 to 15 is, is a, a good ballpark right yes. so when you hit six right he, that i would consider that roughly middle age and when think of you when you were younger versus when you're a little bit older when you were 20 right you could run you could run around all day and nothing hurts Yep. Well, it might ache a little bit, but no big deal. You try that when you're 40 or 50. Some of us can still do it, but for the vast majority of us, we 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 will end up pulling things we didn't even know we had. No, you got that right. Right? Yep. <laughs> you the your dogs and dogs. Like, you, how many of us play catch with their dog? I mean, I'm not even talking about sport dogs. I'm talking about the dog, the family dog, your family pet. For example, you throw the ball in the air, right? Your dog runs after it, stops on a dime, picks it up runs back to you, stops at a time, expecting you to throw it again. Now, imagine us at an old age doing the same thing can happen to your dog, right? So because of that, dogs also end up with things like arthritis. And you can tell that with your dog because all of a sudden, you'll realize sometimes your dog can't jump up on the couch the way he used to when he was younger, or he, he doesn't come running down at breakneck speed the way he used to. So a lot of that injury sometimes can be, uh, and the aches and pains, is mediated through inflammation. And one of the things that we, there are many ingredients that people can use to help control inflammation, right? So things like curcumin is one of the things that you do. Um, Boswellia is another ingredient that people use. And there's a whole host of different things that you can use. I'm just mentioning those two. And things like devil's claw. I'm just mentioning those three of them for now right? Okay. Uh, but that is to help treat the immediate um, pain, et cetera, so on. But as you get older, you know, you got to rebuild your joints. And the same ingredients that we use for people, we could use for, for animals. Again, we just have to control how much they're getting. So things like collagen, hyaluronic acid, glucosamine sulfate, chondroitin sulfate, right? Those things work right? And we also have to, I also say for dogs and cats, a lot of us forget the fact that they also need the B vitamins, right? Because the B vitamins, what they do, the B vitamins actually power the biochemistry to help the healing process. So anything, let's say I'm rebuilding cartilage. Well, the biochemical requirement for this to happen requires things like the B vitamins, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're helping to repair joints, Helping to repair, press sinews, the bones, etc. Right? You need to have minerals. So things like calcium, magnesium. Most people just stop at calcium and magnesium, but they don't realize you also need things like silicon, zinc, selenium, all right? Manganese, just to mention a few. Chromium, even, just to mention a few things. All right? So. What I'm trying to advocate here is not all, you know, how people say, oh, buy this. It's, It's great for joints. And they talk about one ingredient, which is glucosamine. Usually that's where they talk and stop. But, you know... What I'm trying to advocate is no, you, you can't just stop at one ingredient. You you got to take a, a a more holistic approach, right? And I go back to my brick wall again. You're going to get tired of my brick. No, wall. No, I love your
1: brick wall, Gordon.
0: <laughs> you know, if if I just gave you the bricks, you can you'll never make the brick wall because you still have to come up with the cement. What I'm trying to do here is to supply the body with all of the raw materials, so then it's then in itself it can use all of these things to repair the the the, um, the the, the damages, right? Uh, no, I'm not going to say it's going to make your dog as if he was a puppy, but you know what? It will help him so that he will be a lot more comfortable as, as he or she goes down into old age.
1: So, Gordon, in your experience, uh, are customers of yours or, or people who are seeking natural health remedies for themselves, are they necessarily looking for it for their pets or is it an afterthought? If natural
0: products are good for you, it should also be good for your for your pets, right? right? For the other members of your family. So we've seen there's there's more and more people they're looking for these natural ingredients to treat their their animals. Uh, And in all fairness, for something as simple as uh, I shouldn't say simple, but for something like um, joint pain, etc. Right normal medicine or regular medicine or veterinary medicine really has nothing for that. Uh, there's no curative aspects. They can give you things like um, different types of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, but as we know, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can damage damage the, the stomach, or give you um, ulcers, etc. And the same thing happens with, with dogs and cats. They're good for short-term use, but for long-term use, it's not. And if as you know, a lot of other people could vouch it if you have arthritic pain. There is, you can't live on things like acetaminophen or right. even even on um, things like ibuprofens, right?
1: What, what are your thoughts on CBD? I I've, I've have friends with pets because I have a dog and, you know, when we're in the park, we talk about it. And some the, of them the, are starting to give CBD for their pets.
0: The thing about CBD, um, I'm, I'm no expert on CBD. CBD probably works really well, but here's the problem. You can't just walk into the health food store and buy it. True. Right? Yep. And it is very, very expensive, right? So so you have two things going for you, and it's, it's difficult to get your hands on, right? So those are the three downsides of CBD, and it probably works as good as, if not better than, but the whole point about it is that, you know, we don't have enough information, but... We do know it probably it works on people, so it probably works on 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 animals as well.
1: So right. let let's focus then on on what we can do for our pets that we know works with uh, joint deterioration. And I think one of the yeah. the one of the things you mentioned before was glucosamine.
0: Right. One of the things I wanted to talk about glucosamine is that if you go out there. In the in the veterinarian world, everybody says when they're selling when they're talking about glucosamine, they want to talk about glucosamine hydrochloride. And in the veterinarian world, as opposed to the human world, glucosamine hydrochloride is more important in the veterinarian world than in the human world. But there are people out there who swear on a stack of Bibles uh, because this is what they were told um, that the only glucosamine that, that animals can use is the hydrochloride version, which is obviously very, very false because a lot of the clinical data was generated with the sulfate version, a glucosamine sulfate. Now, one of the things that we use, we use something called D-glucosamine. And the reason we use the D-glucosamine format is because if I was to go into the, the body and pull out all the glucosamine, it exists in the D-form. And a lot of times when you buy glucosamine, it's a mixture of something called D-glucosamine and also something called L-glucosamine. L-glucosamine is absorbed just as easily into the bloodstream as D-glucosamine, but the body only takes up the D-glucosamine. So it basically uses the L-glucosamine for something else and just comes out as waste product. So if you're taking, say, 1,000 milligrams of glucosamine and 50% of it is D and 50% of it is L, you're really only getting 500 milligrams of usable glucosamine. Whereas when we, in our product, we use the, the D glucosamine, so 1,000 milligrams you get 1,000 milligrams of the active glucosamine. Okay. Right, so that's one of the things with, about that. But the other ingredients that, that people should, should look at, things like collagen. Right and MSM, MSM for for animals is also very useful because it provides sulfur, and sulfur is important in many of the anti-inflammatory pathways as a raw material to manufacture things that are important to help control inflammation. So and then there's the anti-inflammatory herbs that we spoke about earlier on, right? So all those are some of the things that we take. One of the things that I have to 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 talk a little bit about is quantity that you need to take because Mm -hmm. some people will just go rush out and say, well, I heard on the radio Dr. Chang says, well, it's the same as the human ingredients, so we're going to go use the, the, the human stuff. That's all fine and well, but you have to realize... One pill on the human side usually contains a lot more than what you'd get for a dog. So unless your dog is one of those big uh, m- mountain Burmese dogs, right, which, is, yeah. which which outweighs you, yep. right? they can take the human version. But if you have one of those little poodles, which is probably about 20 pounds, 30 pounds, you, you don't need to give him as much. Of course. Now, the nice thing about, about all of these ingredients that I talk about is that it is very safe. All right, you can take double or triple the dose, quadruple the dose for a long a length of time, and there is no side effects that you're going to notice. all right? Well, that's good news. So that's a that's a big plus on it. The only thing that will hurt is probably a pocketbook because you're taking more than you actually need. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so we've been we've been focusing on sort of uh, care of of joints and inflammation, but. We can also supplement for our pets as a preventative measure, right?
0: That's right. So a lot of a lot of people also take um, some of these products when give it to their animals when they were younger as a right. preventative.
1: Right. So right. I'm, I have a dog who's three years old. What is there things that I should be giving her?
0: Oh uh, yeah, just I would also say for those, you give them a, a, a wide, a big diet, a, a wide variety in their diet, right? Uh, and this is why I would suggest that if you feed your dog. Kibble is fine, but don't only give him one brand. Don't only give him kibble. Give him other things in there. You want to widen the diet a little bit. Okay. Right? And the reason you want to widen the diet is because you get a lot of accessory nutrients the wider your diet becomes. Right. Right? And It's like, um, you know, if, if in a human side, if I only fed you, say, um, Kellogg's Corn Flakes every day, Right, even though I threw in all the vitamins and minerals, you're still missing a lot of you know, a lot of the essential nutrients. Right? so
1: you're you're advocating for, for, for perhaps some table scraps. Is that is that what I'm it, hearing?
0: It doesn't hurt. Right, well, but do not make that your only source. No, of course food. not. And that's where people fall into that trap because some people say, "Oh, this is good," so that's all we feed. Right? So right. it's a wide variety. The reason people do well or better than their animals is because we eat produce from all over the world nowadays. Yes. Right? We don't only eat it from this one little p- patch of land. And because of that, we get a lot of trace minerals, etc. The other uh, alternative is to make sure you supplement your animal with, with, um, with some of the trace minerals, so where we talk about the manganese, the selenium, et cetera, all those are very important, right? Chromium, all those are very important for the health of your animal, right? And the health, the healthier your animal, right, you, you will have a happier animal, right? You, all of a sudden, if you have a dog that's a little bit older and he, you put him on some of these things, all of a sudden you'll see you, you have a different dog. He, he's a lot more, because he's pain free. And if he's pain free, he's happier,
1: right? So we really only have time for one more question, and I would presume, knowing knowing you as I do, I'm sure you advocate for exercise, diet, and sleep for your pets, just in the same way that you would advocate it for for humans, right?
0: Well, I will say yes. Exercise is great. Sleep. I don't think you have a dog that ever is so stressed out that he doesn't sleep. Yeah, it's true. awake at night. Yeah, but exercise and you know having a dog is one of the big advantages of having a dog for you as the owner you have to walk your dog yes. so because you're walking your dog you're also are getting exercise
1: i'm getting my steps in gordon cuz i've got a <laughs> i've got a, an aussie poodle breed very smart very active chases balls just like you said before so i get i get my 10,000 steps in every day
0: well, that's good. So it'll keep you young and it'll keep you limber. Yes. Uh, sometimes, though, you might you might overdo it and pull something you didn't even know you had, and that's yes. when you got to reach in and and take take something for it. And uh, the natural product world, there's lots of stuff for that.
1: Fantastic. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. Uh, you're going to come back next month. Definitely. Excellent. We've got to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss salads with our resident salad whisperer on the tonic. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their client's mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directives step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with a solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at VitalDirectives.com. Did you know that you and your company can make an impact in the community by simply ordering lunch? Big or small, it's now possible for companies that require catering services all across the GTA to give back effortlessly. Thanks to a unique partnership bringing together a local caterer, Chef's Catering, and Red Door Family Shelter. For every meal ordered from the Red Door special menu, one meal is given back to the women and children seeking refuge at Red Door. Visit chefscatering.ca to discover the menu and support your community.
3: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
1: Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over five years. Since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife, Naomi. Hi, honey. Hi. Most of our listeners know that you're a cookbook aficionado, and you know your expertise, although you cook many things, are desserts and pastries, which you are amazing at. The other thing that you're really good at is salads. In fact, you are a salad whisperer.
4: Yes, I was recently called the salad whisperer. I consider that to be a great compliment. It is a compliment. <laughs> yes.
1: What does it mean to be a salad whisperer? Why do they call you that?
4: You know, salads are not the same as cookies or cake. You know, it's not everybody's favorite. It's taking something that might be boring or blah or rabbit food and turning into something delicious, even a meal.
1: Right. It's easy to get the accolades when you're making yeah, ice cream exactly. or cookies or cakes. It's, it's not so easy if you're putting vegetables together. Yes. Right? It's
4: like taming, you know, a wild dog, being a dog whisperer or something like that. It's hard. Hard if it work. was easy. Everybody would do it
1: exactly. Okay, but you're going to help us today to figure out how to make perfect salads. Yes, perfection is what we're aiming for. Moonshots. All right. So, what, what in your opinion, what makes a good salad?
4: Okay, so there's four main things that I would say goes into a great salad. One. Acid, main way to get. You don't mean LSD, right? No, I'm focusing on salads today. Okay. The dressing needs to have a kick. When you look at uh, recipes for salad dressings, often it talks about uh, three quarters oil, one quarter vinegar. I don't agree. I say more vinegar, less oil. I mean, let's say two thirds oil, one third vinegar, or something like that. So, need to have a kick. It needs to be vinegary if you taste it, because of course gets diluted over the salad. Also, on the subject of dressing, don't. Don't overdo it. Don't make the well. Salad. That's a
1: picadillo of yours, right? You don't like the gloppy, right. wet salads. You, you, <laughs> and Who does? Well, there's some people that do because yeah. you see them everywhere, right? I
4: know, but the way you describe it, to sort of, I don't really. Well, need I know to the way you else. feel about it, right?
1: <laughs> so there you go. Right.
4: I like my salads lightly dressed, but on this, on the topic of acid, uh, don't put too much, but make it strong. Make it taste good. You can
1: always add more dressing. You can, you can always can, you add. can't take away.
4: Yes, and you can also add acid in other ways, like. Pomegranate seeds, or you know, some components of the salad that have a kick. But it's it's very important to make a good salad. So that's number one. Number two, salt. Another key component. You have to add salt, and you have to add a lot of it. You add the salt to the dressing. I sprinkle salt on the finished salad before I eat it. And you can add salty components like nuts or meat or cheese to the salad. You need that balance.
1: You need umami. I I think people are conditioned to have that flavor profile in, in every food that they eat. And I think people aren't just eating salads as like an introductory course or even in a European way after the main course. It can be the main course, in which case, you know, you have to satisfy those cravings, I think.
4: Yes. And there are certain ingredients that really need salt, you know, some more than others, like tomatoes. Eggs, avocado, cucumber. And when, I'm, when I use those ingredients, I actually salt them separately before I put them in the salad and salt the whole salad. So salt, it'll just make it taste better. It's not going to be salty. Right. Just a little bit, but throughout. That's component number two. Three is Crunch. Or texture. And you might say, well, you're talking about vegetables which are crunchy, so why do you need to emphasize that? But you need to have different components. So, depending on the salad and what's in it, you know, again, nuts, seeds, croutons, grains, something, some chew, a different vegetable. So, not everything that's the same texture. You know, cucumbers have one kind of texture, but then tomatoes have a different. Carrots are different, say broccoli, celery. You know, yeah, different components make a better salad for sure. And then the last thing is kind of a a catch all just to make your salads more interesting by having some variety. Don't make them the same. Uh, You know, a salad to me that has, you know, lettuce tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers is blah. It's boring. And I might have it occasionally, but it doesn't make me excited to eat it. And I certainly would be bored. It wouldn't make me have more salad if that was what I considered salad to be. So try something else. Try raw vegetables. Pretty much any vegetable can be eaten raw, even if you usually cook it like broccoli or Brussels sprouts or asparagus. Yeah,
1: but okay. But with those cruciferous vegetables, I think you have to chop them smaller. You you have to know how to handle them, right? It isn't as easy as just dropping them in the salad. No,
4: don't put a huge chunk of broccoli in your, of raw broccoli in your salad. It won't taste good, but you can do something. You can also crisp it up, roast it in love and uh, char it. There's things you can do. So uh, asparagus, you slice it really thinly. So it's not
1: Or woody. Or you can shave it. I know people that right, shave their exactly. asparagus to get the sort of outer woody uh, texture away from it. And then, you know, it has a delicate flavor and texture.
4: I often add fruit to my salad and it doesn't make it sweet. If I cut up a piece of apple and I squeeze lemon on it, it just, it has that acid and it has a crunch and and a little bit of sweet, but not too much sweet. So different ingredients, changing it up, that'll make it interesting and make you want to eat more of it.
1: Okay. So that's sort of the philosophy yeah. of salads, right? <laughs> the metaphysical, the, the esoteric salad. But let's let's get into specifics and maybe you can explain how putting together all these components might work and what it might look like and what your favorite salads are.
4: Yeah. So I, I came up with a description, a list of my favorite salads, which was very difficult to do because I have so many yes. that I like. All of these salads are from cookbooks, but I checked and they're all available on the internet. So if you don't have the cookbook and you want to check it out, you can actually find it on the internet. Okay. Okay, so salad number 1, tomatoes. And this is tomato time. That we're talking about this. If you're going to make a tomato salad, now is it?
1: This is and this is the tomato salad you want to make. This right? is the
4: tomato salad, or I mean, there's many, but this is a really good one. Where did really,
1: you, you get this recipe? So
4: this is from Six Seasons by Josh McFadden, which is a great vegetable book if you're looking at if you like vegetables and you want to you think about salads, and he really focuses on the salty, sweet, savory. Um components of salad, so he's he is a vegetable whisperer himself. This particular dish, um you know you take summer's best tomatoes, you sprinkle them with a uh, spices and garlic, and let them sit for a little bit of time, and then you make a little You mix together yogurt and cucumbers, make a little sauce with that. Another component is chickpeas with some olive oil and vinegar and fresh herbs, and then you layer them together. So you've got uh, the tomatoes that have been marinating on the bottom. You put the yogurt on top, and then you sprinkle the chickpeas over with some fresh basil and, and mint, and you eat it together with pita or crackers or you know, flatbread and it's so good. You know, it's got, it's savory and spicy and garlicky. And if you like those flavors, like it, it, you know, we make it a meal.
1: Right. And I was just going to say that, I mean, the tomatoes are in very big pieces that you, you, such that you'd need to cut them. So it's a more substantial salad. Mm -hmm. This is not a side salad. This is a meal. You're right.
4: Yeah. It can also be an appetizer at a party. But it's, you know, like, it, yeah, but it,
1: I would I would cut it differently. I would cut it into smaller pieces like like it's it's a composed salad. It's not like a tossed salad.
4: It's a nice, fresh salad for the summer. So that's a tomato salad. It's my best tomato salad. Another one, which is interesting, Brussels sprout salad with uh, mustard and toasted almonds. And that's from my Shia cookbook. And I chose this one, first of all, because it's really good, but also because it's a little bit different. When I served it, everybody said, I didn't know you could eat Brussels sprouts raw. Yes, you can. You shave them. You know, if you ate a whole Brussels sprout raw, I don't think it would be delicious. But shave it thinly, and it's great.
1: When you say shave it, like what, what do you, you could, uh, Cuisinart or, Cuisinart or, or a mandolin? mandolin.
4: Yeah. yeah. You can slice it with a knife, too. You just just want to shave it. Mm-hmm. Thin, so that it's not too chewy. So raw shaved Brussels sprouts, lots of mustard and vinegar. That's the acid we were talking about. Toasted almonds for the crunch. Fresh herbs for the brightness. And there's some honey, raisins, mm-hmm. shallot, and garlic. And a whole, like a tablespoon of salt in this. So like yeah. a lot of salt. When and it's
1: I, a light salad. Like you would, you would think it's heavy. When you think of Brussels sprouts, you kind of think of like Thanksgiving and it's a heavy side dish. Yeah. As a salad, it takes on a totally different sort of persona, we'll call it.
4: Yes. when I made this, everybody said, wow, like this is such a great salad. And uh, you wouldn't necessarily think a Brussels sprout salad would be the top sort of hit at a, at a dinner, but it was. It was. So that's definitely recommended. Next. Swiss chard. Nobody thinks about Swiss chard. It's the unsung hero. Yeah, you know, it's true. I
1: can't remember the last time I thought <laughs> exactly. about Swiss chard.
4: But I use it a lot. And it's easier to work with than kale. It's not as strong. It's not bitter. and um, It doesn't doesn't require as much
1: management, right? Yeah. Like if you're making kale, if you're doing it right, you actually have to massage it unless you're using like a baby kale. Uh, Whereas chard, you don't need to do that.
4: So you just... Cut it up and use it. You can even use the stems. And this particular salad is from the Food 52 cookbook, a Swiss chard salad with lemon, parmesan, and breadcrumbs, toasted bread crumbs. So this it's pretty easy. So fresh chard, uh, garlic, breadcrumbs that you make, but you could also buy them if you wanted. Parmesan cheese, brijola, Again, if you if you want it, if you don't. For those you don't who don't know,
1: to. what what is brajola? It's
4: dried beef, like thinly sliced, air dried beef, like so, cured beef. Right. So you could You'd replace use, it with yeah, what? Yeah. Like,
1: like like really any charcuterie, like a thinly sliced salami right. if you didn't have it, or prosciutto or something and like that. And if you this.
4: don't want to put it in, it would be totally good. Um, and also has almonds, and it's just got a lemon-olive oil dressing. Very simple, but it actually tastes substantial, and it's almost tastes like a Caesar in a way, yeah. but but way lighter than a Caesar. Good salad recommended.
1: And I suppose if you use rainbow chard it would be pretty, right? Like it yeah. isn't just green, you could get yeah. different colors in there. Be a very dramatic salad. For sure. Okay, what's up? What's next?
4: All right, so I'm including this one. I know I said everything was available on the internet. This is kind of. This wheat berry and grilled corn salad, it's just so summery. So I I like it. This what are
1: is, what are wheat berries?
4: So wheat berries are the wheat kernels, but they're not refined. So
1: they're not milled yet. So it's a whole grain.
4: It's a whole grain. It's chewy. You can use wheat berries, faro, but you can use faro, barley, quinoa. You know, it's got some sort of grain. This is from the essentials of home cooking from Bonnie Stern. Basically it's got grilled asparagus, grilled corn. And grilled red onion, grilled peppers, grilled jalapenos, grilled vegetables. Right. Toss them with the grain, and use a dressing that's made with um, concentrated orange juice. Strangely, chipotle peppers, rice wine vinegar, honey, salt, and pepper. And this can, one's a little
1: more work, but 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 this um, I make it this every vi- summer. It's a very summer salad. Yeah,
4: it, Let's make it as spicy as like, but a spicy, sweet, savory. Um, this one i like for it's one of my favorite summer salads fantastic
1: all right well unfortunately that's all the time we have but you're going to come back next month and we're going to discuss building block cookbooks
4: right absolutely
1: fantastic we've got to take a short break but when we return we'll discuss mindfulness and cognitive disorders on the tonic
3: Urinary tract infections are the worst and can come back again and again, making life miserable. Utiva is a 100% natural daily supplement that stops UTIs before they start. Utiva is recommended by doctors, drug-free, and made in Canada. For an exclusive 25% discount, visit us at utivahealth.com. That's U-T-I-V-A-Health.com or call us at 1-888-622-3613. That's 1-888-622-3613.
1: The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens.
3: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: My next guest is local yogi, Tracy Sograti. She has a post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She specializes in training yoga teachers. She's the co-founder of Evolve Retreat, a phenomenal opportunity for women to celebrate and grow together in Costa Rica. For more information, visit evolveretreat.org. Welcome back to the show, my friend.
2: Woohoo! I'm so pumped to be here, Jamie. I can't wait.
1: So, today, again, we're going to (laughs) discuss all the ways in which my brain doesn't work properly and causing me to alienate people while I react poorly to what they are telling me, even though it's all yeah, in my brain. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, every time we have the opportunity to work together, I want to subtly slide things in to help <laughs> you improve your life.
1: Yeah, exactly. And my <laughs> wife thanks you for it. And my family thanks I you for her, it.
2: Right? I love her. I love her. I love your kids. So yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Really.
1: Basically the overview here is we're talking about a mindful mind and we've talked about yes. mindfulness before. Yes. So let's just sort of ground it, but not dwell on it. When we're talking about mindfulness and and, and the mind? What are we talking about?
2: When we talk about mindfulness in the mind, what we're really talking about is our ability to pay attention to our thoughts without, uh, without believing that the thoughts that we have are true or that the emotions that we have are true. And, um, you know, I wanted to really unpack this more precisely with you on this show because it's the place where people get really tripped up, um, yeah. mindfulness meditation. It's not easy. It's simple to tell someone, okay, so mindfulness is coming into the present moment and focusing on your breath. That's something that they can anchor to, but as their practice evolves, inevitably where it leads is to mindfulness of the mind. So, so you're sitting with yourself and you're having this opportunity to actually watch the kinds of thoughts that you're having. And this is where people universally get completely lost because they start tuning into their thoughts and then before they know it, they're, they're back on autopilot mode and they don't even realize that they're trapped in their mind and they're emotionally reacting to the kinds of thoughts that they're having as if everything that they're thinking is true and real. Everybody sees the world uh, through the lens of their own experiences, right? One hundred percent.
1: There's a school, of, the school of thought called objectivism, which I, yeah, you know, and yeah, Randian yeah, objectivism, yeah, which yeah, I think is complete yeah. nonsense. Yeah. I, I believe that everybody we live in a subjective universe.
2: It's totally subjective, right? So, getting people to land in a place where they can recognize that it's completely subjective, but also give themselves a little bit of distance so that they can actually approach themselves with gentleness and with curiosity and see their subjective thoughts clearly, that's really where the gold is, you know? And, and that's what mindfulness is asking us to do, essentially, when, when we're looking at mindfulness of the mind. Um, you know, so today, I really, I wanted to go through cognitive distortions. Okay. So cognitive distortion is a way of looking at the world. It's where your thoughts uh, take reality in front of you and they, they distort it, right, as yep. per the definition, or, or they exaggerate it. Yep. Right? So, so it might not be disor- distorted, it might be just an exaggerated version of what you see in front of you, and that exaggerated version stems from very old patterns, often from very early in your life. Right. The number one uh, cognitive distortion is filtering. And what filtering is, is, you know, when you're in a situation and all of the negative details of that situation in your brain are magnified. Mm -hmm. So you see them more clearly and all of the positive details are minimized. When that happens, when you're focusing on the negative uh, details so much, your whole perception of reality becomes completely distorted. What you're seeing isn't real. It's just a very negative version of what's happening in front of you.
1: It's your mind explaining to you uh, a state of affairs that doesn't exist. It's, exactly.
2: It's- and so to sit with yourself and notice, oh, okay, if I look at this situation and step back from it a little bit and actually quantify, okay, well, here's the negative things that, that happen and you can list them for yourself, yep. but then also quantify, okay, well, here's all of the positive that happens. When you can see those things in front of you, then you can start to take yourself out of the story that you're telling yourself about the event. Okay. okay. So that's number one. Number two, and this is, I would say that number two is probably the thing that I deal with with my clients the most, is polarized thinking. Yep. Um, which is also called all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking.
1: Binary approach. It's good yeah. or bad, right?
2: Exactly. It's good or bad. A lot of people get into the idea that either they're perfect at something, and if they don't feel that they're perfect, then they must be a failure. There will be people in relationships who believe that. Um, if you're in love, then everything has to be like rainbows and butterflies. Yep. And if you have a fight, that equals you're splitting up. Okay? So there's no shades of gray. It's only extremes. And this is very, very unfortunately common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's, and it's a tricky thing to get out of uh, because when you're seeing this world in this way, uh, you, you believe that you're Right. You know, you're believing yep. the story that you tell yourself. So you have to really be able to sit back and go, okay, wait a second. You know, life actually happens in all the shades of gray. You know, there's very little that's happening at the extreme.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I always believe that, you know, that, that there's only gray. <laughs> like, like <laughs> no, there's no, there agree. is no black and white I, to I me. Agree.
2: I, I agree. I agree with you completely.
1: Okay, good. We're on the same page. What's next?
2: Okay. So overgeneralization. Okay. So overgeneralization is basically where you take one detail about an event and you generalize it out to the rest of your life. So say you go to a party and your first social interaction is kind of crappy, right? And you think, oh, that person doesn't like me. That, that tendency to overgeneralize in, in your head, you'll start looking at everyone who's in the social environment with you and thinking and projecting that thing that just happened onto everyone. Right. right?
1: nobody likes me because this person didn't like me ergo I'm not likable ergo they all don't like me
2: exactly and then you start to behaviorally act out that reality that you believe which then is going to socially alienate you and so that's how that cognitive distortion actually plays out and then you create your reality right because you're reacting to this thing that's happening in your head as if it's true and that's changing your behavior
1: and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy
2: exactly so this is where it gets really problematic
1: the next one I found really interesting too, Which is jumping to conclusions.
2: Well, I find this one funny, and I, I feel like I almost want to whisper when I say it because I see this in the yoga community a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, so on one hand, it's assuming that you know what other people are thinking and feeling, and sometimes this is called like fortune telling about your future or other people's futures, right? Yep. So it's this sense that it's like, oh, you have this feeling about what that person is like or what they're feeling, and then you make a prediction, and you feel like you feel like what you're feeling is true. And you know, in reality, our feelings are often very wrong. You know, they're not really telling us anything that's true. But when you start uh, going through the process of fortune telling about your future, and then acting like the stories that you're telling are actually true,
1: right? And it becomes worse when you're occasionally right, because then it then you're just you're convinced that you're you have this capability of understanding people.
2: Well, it's Uh, like a gambler. You know, you attribute you attribute your success to something that exists inside of you, and and in reality, it doesn't.
1: Okay, here's one that here's one that I suffer from? Um, uh, yeah,
2: I already knew this.
1: Yeah,
2: I was going to say it first.
1: <laughs> all right, well, let's spit you. it out. What, what are we talking about?
2: Catastrophizing. Yeah. So this is just basically imagining the worst in every event. And I want to, before I describe what it is, I want to yeah. preface it by saying, you know, people who have lived through any kind of traumatic event um, or who have experienced vicarious trauma. So vicarious trauma is being uh, close to someone who's been ex- who's yeah. experienced trauma So say if your parents were Holocaust survivors, right, there's a lot of uh, vicarious trauma. Or if, you know, your parent, uh, you know, was in a car accident and you cared for them, same thing. That's vicarious trauma. Or if you're in a job, like a social worker might experience uh, vicarious trauma. Um, So so it's a tendency to imagine the worst in every event. So, for example, you know, your spouse doesn't call, they're dead automatically, they're dead, you're visualizing all of the ways that they could have died. Um, You can't reach them, you know, they're not answering their phone, then they're having an affair. You know, your kid goes away somewhere, and same thing, you're imagining all of the terrible things that could potentially happen to them, you know, because they're away from you. So it's just this whole catastrophizing uh, view of the world. And the reason it's so problematic, um, one is because obviously it's not true, right? Right. Catastrophe doesn't strike uh, 100% of the time. But second, because uh, your body doesn't know the difference between what's happening in your mind and what's happening outside of you. So if your brain is visualizing all of these special effects, essentially, you know, all of these traumatic things happening, your body's reacting to your brain as if these things are actually happening to you. Hmm. So your nervous system is jacked.
1: We only have time for one more and I know there's more than one that you want to cover so so with let, let's go to your your next go to one that you see more than often
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's the next one. Personalization, right? And actually,
1: that's actually the one that I was referring to before. That's, I think that's mostly me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this is where the person believes that someone else's behavior or anyone else's behavior is a direct reaction to them. So they take everything personally, right? And, um, they tend to compare themselves to others, but also take responsibility for things that aren't there. So you might be in a situation and say, you know, say something goes down, um, at a, uh, in work, right? Yep. That that isn't fully your responsibility. There are a whole number of things that came together to make one bad event happen. The person who takes things personally will think that it's all because of them. So they'll take all of the responsibility and suffer all of the stress from it. And and in reality, as you said before, life is all shades of gray, right? Yep. So it's just simply not real.
1: What is totally real is that we are out of time today. <laughs> I love that segue. Uh, But you're going to come back. You're going to come back next month and we're going to explore a little bit more about this. We're going to discuss cognitive bias, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we are. Fantastic.
1: All right. We've got to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss health washing on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop, offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This
2: is
3: The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Shauna Lindzen is a registered dietitian with over 25 years of nutrition experience. She worked as a clinical dietitian at Sunnybrook Health Science Center in nephrology and neurosurgery for 12 years. Since leaving the clinical setting, she's been working in the community as a consulting dietitian. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. Most recently, she's developed cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education for her clientele. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. You can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks for having me, Jamie.
1: So just before we went on air, I went and I washed my hands because I saw what we're talking <laughs> about today is health washing, and I thought you were sort of sending me a message that I've got to shape up. But that's not <laughs> what Get we're talking
3: Get under ta- those nails. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's
1: not, but that's not what we're talking about today, is it?
3: So we're talking about when companies try to sell you something using glorified words when the product may not even be good for you.
1: Right. So recently Another form of this, which is similar, is greenwashing when all the companies wanted to go echo. So they would use buzzwords to let people think that they weren't using chemicals when in fact they were.
3: Absolutely, and it's hard as a consumer to differentiate between the real thing and something that's fake.
1: So we're talking about processed foods now, right? Yeah. I the know that's your bugaboo. I know you don't like the processed foods, but even more so, I guess false advertising or misleading advertising in the context is, is probably more aggravating to you.
3: Exactly, because if you think about it, if you go to um, a grocery store, you yeah. look at um, all the fresh produce, all right. the, the broccoli, the cauliflower, the kale. That's not labeled, right? So. If if you look at that, if I labeled it, what would I say? I would have to put the nutrients down, right?
1: Right. But you also might put down whether or not it had been sprayed or you organic know, or versus non-GMO, all that. Where it came from is important, too, because you you know that, you know, if it's coming a long way, they probably picked it before it ripened and it's ripened in transit.
3: You know, exactly. But, and that, that just goes to show you that we should be eating more from farm to table right. as opposed to from a box to the table. When you're looking at a box, you may see words like natural, light, yep. um, that type of thing. So what does that actually mean?
1: Well I, I know it's mandated, right? if they can't put light on there unless unless there's certain sort of uh metrics that they've reached.
3: But natural's not regulated. If you look at the word natural, um that what does that actually mean? I I don't know as a consumer. I would have to look into it, right?
1: Well, I know what it's implying. It's implying that it comes from nature and it is not man-made, which is ridiculous if it's in a box, right?
3: Exactly. And um, what I want you to do as a consumer is to try to figure it out. It is difficult. So the tools I'm going to give to you are as follows. I want you to read the ingredients instead of reading the health claims. So let's say I'm going to give an example, actually, of a box of cereal. So if it says... Um, light, high in fiber. It usually says words like that, like fat-free, low-calorie. Right. Um, gluten-free,
1: whatever. Gluten-free,
3: yeah. whatever. So um, gluten-free is actually a really good one because gluten-free doesn't mean healthier. Right, no. It actually usually means More not processed. as healthy. More
1: processed. Now, yes. a, a lot of gluten-free foods are heavily processed and the replacement grain or whatever is is they're using to approximate the grain they are replacing tends not to be terribly healthy. Uh, it could be fattening. And,
3: could and be, refined. Right. So, for instance, if we want to use gluten-free as the example in a cereal, we can say a corn cereal, a rice cereal. Right. And what is the F word that is extracted out of the cereal? Well, portion. I
1: know lots of F words, but <laughs> I, I think it's going to be fiber.
3: Yes, the fiber, the F word. So, yeah. with fiber, this is what we want to be eating more of, right. not less of. So if we are going for the catchphrase of gluten-free, unfortunately people think, oh, is that healthier? But it's not. So what I want you to do as a consumer is I want you to go to the ingredient list and see what's in there. So if you see words like whole grain, whole wheat, for instance, that's obviously not going to be on a gluten-free one. Right. You want to look for the least amount of ingredients as possible. If there's three or four ingredients versus 18 ingredients, right. you've got a less processed food.
1: Also, the first ingredients are the ones with the highest proportion. Yes. So, so if sugar is first, you're eating a bunch of sugar. And it- guess
3: guess what else they do the companies do what? to health, um, health wash? They split the sugars up. So right. they'll do so glucose, glucose, fructose, yeah. high fructose corn syrup, which is in the States, agave, maple syrup, honey. It's, mm. There are so many words for the word sugar. The other thing I actually want to touch on when we're ta- touching on the sugar is once they take something out, like let's say they say sugar-free, well, why is it sweet? Because they're maybe adding some artificial sweetener. They're maybe adding a sugar alcohol. Lots of people don't know what the word xylitol means, sorbitol. That's a sugar alcohol. That actually can cause a lot of um, GI, gastrointestinal distress. Hmm. Right. So people don't realize that. So it's all about educating yourself on the terminology they use, not falling for the health claims.
1: Right. Other than natural, what other words are out there that trip people up?
3: So, I would say the word light is a really big one. And sometimes Um,
1: they spell it L I T E.
3: L I T E. And they'll say light. So, olive oil, for instance, they'll say light, and people may think that that's calorie reduced, but it's actually the color. Yeah. It's really ambiguous. And unfortunately, you almost need like a PhD in nutrition to decipher is this healthy, is this not.
1: Yeah, but then you'd be out of work, right? If everybody had the PhD. Yeah. yeah.
3: (laughs) Interestingly enough, with. Even myself, like I look at it and I look at a product and I sometimes wonder, and I'm not going to go to like Health Canada and look at the regulations every time. So what can you do as a consumer to get away from this and to be smart about this? Okay.
1: So here's my approach to it Mm because I do the food shop for Mm -hmm. my family. Okay. The easiest and simplest way to do it is to say, I'm not going to buy the processed foods. Love it. Okay, so I buy a lot of fruits and vegetables and, 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 you know, raw products and I do a lot of cooking, but I appreciate not everybody's into it or has the time to do it. I think if you're going to buy a box of something, you do it with your eyes open. I think unless unless you are prepared to stand in the aisle and read through all the ingredients, I think you just have to say to yourself, okay, I'm buying this box of. I don't know, goldfish shaped crackers, Mm -hmm. whether they are baked or fried or whatever, Mm -hmm. they're probably not good for me. And you're just reconciled to that. That's the easiest approach because otherwise you can disappear up your own bum trying to worry about what has what and what has this and what has that. It it would make an hour long shop two hours long.
3: By far, that is the number one tip is to buy whole foods. Number one tip. And you know what, Jamie? What excites me is that instead of learning how to cook extravagantly, do something that's deconstructed, like a cheese plate with some fresh bread, like some artisanal bread, some olives and some grapes, for instance, like food does not have to be complicated. The industry makes it complicated, and we fall into the trap of being wooed by the industry. Right. So you don't have to learn to be like an extravagant cook. I know that you, especially, you cook without a recipe. Right. Some people have no clue or no um, inspiration to do that, which is fine. I'm self-taught. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I cook what which I want. Which I
3: appreciate. I Wha- really like that.
1: Wh- I cook what I want to eat. If I go to a restaurant and I enjoy something, I'll figure out how to make it. And really cooking is just about a series of procedures. That's the way I see exactly. it. Exactly. If you know how to saute, if you know how to roast, if you know how to sear, if you know how to I have a bake. question for you. Yeah.
3: So in, if you're craving like mac and cheese, for instance, right. and you know, there's the box version yeah. and then there's the Jamie version, right. which would you choose?
1: I would always choose to make my own.
3: The Jamie version, yeah. which I I really appreciate, because when you boil the water, the pasta that you take out of a box takes the same amount right. of time as making a little cheese sauce, which I could teach. Well, you in five yes and minutes. no. I
1: mean, I mean, I usually make a bechamel and I'll put the, I'll put the cheese. How in long mus- does that take? A good bechamel. Uh, that's true. You it could takes probably about eight I, ten minutes, but it's a lot of for somebody who doesn't cook. I can make a bechamel and I can boil the noodles and I can saute vegetables to make an al forno simultaneously, but I know most people can't do that.
3: So, so that's 12 minutes yeah. versus I could teach you or someone who doesn't cook probably to do that in less than 20.
1: I make a pasta once a week with fresh uh, cherry tomatoes, garlic, olive oil, chili pepper, and then I finish it off with toasted breadcrumbs. I think it rivals any pasta I've I'm ever coming eaten over. in the restaurant and it can be made in the time that it takes to boil the noodles.
3: And that's my point. You just listed off five ingredients.
1: Yeah. And so, it's delicious. It's simple, cheap, cheap easy to Cheap and delicious.
3: Yeah. And I was about to say, like, if you buy a box, it's cheap, but you're not getting the vegetables. You're not getting the whole foods. You have it down to a science. And yeah. it's not that difficult. I'm out there to teach people how to make super easy food and not buy the packages. Yeah. I do cooking demos out of my home, Linson.com, look yep. me up. I'm a registered dietitian and a home cook. So yeah. I really try to help people get away from the packaging, decreasing the stress of the companies trying to woo you by health washing and getting it back into from farm to table.
1: I would say the number one thing, I, we're just going to finish it off. I'm going to finish this off here. <laughs> uh, I, I think... If people had a roster of 10 recipes that they could do during the week that take 15 minutes of prep time, I think they would find themselves buying less processed food. And I off the top of my... 100%
3: agree. You,
1: you know, it may be that you're having soup and bread for, for a meal or it could be like a chili with guacamole. You can do it. And if you keep making these dishes, you'll gain the confidence to continue cooking.
3: And you also gain the ability to stock your pantry and fridge yeah. easily and appropriately. I agree. In On a budget.
1: Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Uh, but you're going to come back next month, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Great, great discussion. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on Facebook at The Tonic Talk Show or on Instagram at Jamie Busson. For great articles written by Naomi Busson and other great writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss natural approaches to anti-aging, healthy grilling, and your mortality. Until then, this is Jamie Bosson wishing you a healthy and happy week.
3: Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.